Well, good morning, everybody. We are in uh, week two of Systematic Theology, and I told you last week we would start this week with a quiz. So the quiz is at the top of your page. Uh, This is a review of last week's Scripture Memory Passage, and it's Psalm 119.11. So uh, no Googling or uh, Bible apping or, oh, I'm seeing the, yeah, that's no guilty look on that face at all, right? (laughs) Psalm 119.11. So I'll give you a second to do that. All right, so who wants to take a stab at Psalm 119.11? Who thinks they got it? So Dave thinks he's got it. Who else? Anybody else? Stephen Mays? Anybody else? Amy Vlosen? Kristen? Anybody else? Got anybody? Anybody? All right. Let's quote it. What do you got? What's that? He didn't cheat. He just asked for some guidance. Oh, no guidance allowed. No guidance allowed. So what do we got? She gave me the first word, so I have to be honest about that. Oh, you gave, gave the first word? So what's the verse? Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against me. Absolutely right. Come on up. Who else can quote it for me? Ms. Kristen, can you quote it? Your word I have hidden in your heart that I might not sin against me. Excellent. Come on up. So we've got uh, four different options here. Now, I need the, I need the big book, so don't pick that's okay. that's, Next week's Sunday school lesson may be a little thin if it's, we do that. But any one of these four, yeah. Take the phone and the iPad off the desk, right? So, so we've got Big Daddy Wee, we've got Sidewalk Prophets, uh, What on Earth Am I Here For, Purpose Driven Life, and Rick Warren's Bible Study Methods. So, Ms. Kristen, have you read this? No, that's for you. All right. Have you read this? No. That's for you. There you go. Excellent. All right. Fantastic. I got two more. Stephen? Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Absolutely right. Anybody else? One more? One more? Yes. Very good. And you got the last CD. All right. So there will be uh, prizes each week for memorizing the passages. Sometimes it may be one verse. Sometimes it may be more than one verse. But this is week two of systematic theology. So last week we talked about what systematic theology is. It's a fancy term. And does anybody remember what we had on the tables last week? What do we have on the tables last week? Legos. Legos. We had Legos on the table last week, right? My kids brought in all their Lego sets. We had two massive sets or two massive tables set up, packed with Legos, all these kinds of things. And I spent a lot of the class looking this way down through all of the sets, right? And we talked about each one of the sets was representative of a passage of Scripture. And while it is very, very good to dig in and look at exactly what one passage of Scripture says, it is also very, very healthy to look long ways down the table at what the entire set of Scripture says about any given topic. And that's what systematic theology is. It simply answers the question, what does the Bible say, the whole Bible say, for us today about any given topic? So, Each one of these big sections that we're going to cover is uh, pretty substantial. You can have an entire college course or two or three on any one of these given sections. So the first one that we're going to talk about is the doctrine of the Word of God. Now, I've got buckets up here. Uh, The first year that we did Easter at Coolidge, uh, we thought, because we're Baptist, uh, that we're going to take up an offering because we're Baptist and we have a church service, take up an offering. What we found was that the logistical nightmare of doing that is exceedingly high. 
And what we translated that into was, it's so hard, and we don't want anybody saying that we're out to do this to get money, so let's just not do this. The reality is it was just ridiculously hard. Because you think about all these people just kind of spread out everywhere, and you have these guys walking around with these big, obnoxious, this, what a, the worst color in the world that we could pick for this, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's Home Depot, right? And, uh, and so we had these buckets left over, and I'm thinking through on how to do an introduction to this lesson today. And a, a couple months ago, I was reading through Genesis again and noticed that the very first thing that man does in Genesis, uh, in early chapters of Genesis, does anybody remember? What's the first thing that man actually physically does? <clears throat> I think I heard it somewhere. He names the animals, absolutely. He names the animals. So, so God's created everything. Man is inside everything. Now it's implied that God talks to man and that they walk around and that man listens to God in the direction that he's given with the rules around the tree. But the first thing that we see man do, the first recorded action, is that he names the animals. I'm thinking about this and I'm going, why would he? Seems like a strange thing to start with, right? But it makes a lot of sense because we like to put things into buckets so that we can better understand them. We take all of the known everything and we compartmentalize it and we put this into a bucket and we put this into a bucket and we put this into a bucket and then it makes it easier to study what's inside. So another example for systematic theology is we're going to take what all the scripture says about topics and we're going to put all that scripture in a bucket and then we're going to look in the bucket and see what the bucket's got. Okay? So the first big bucket that we're looking at, we start today, is the doctrine of the word of God. So at the top of your... Uh, handout. Grudem has a section in the book about explanation and scriptural basis. So the Word of God as a person. So there's a couple different ways that, that the Word of God uh, engages with us. So your first blank, it's got to start with Jesus, right? That's right. Jesus is the Word of God. The capital W. So when you see this capital W in the New Testament, that's who we're referring to. And these are the verses. Revelation 19... 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word, capital T, capital W, of God. John 1.1, can anybody quote John 1.1 for me? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, absolutely, and is God, and continues to be God. In John 1.14, and the Word, the capital W, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, so there's the concept in the, in the Bible of the Word of God being a person, being a physical, fleshly person. So that's, that's the first bucket that the Word of God goes into. The second is the Word of God as speech. The Word of God uh, as speech by God. So we're going to put this into a couple different buckets. All right? And some of you are going... Are we just going to put things into buckets? Yep, we're going to put a lot of things into a lot of buckets. And then we're going to look at those scriptures and see what we can find out about God and about ourselves and what we need to do as a result of that process. So God's decrees is your next section there. A word of God that causes something to happen. A word of God that causes something to happen. Justin Harness, stand up. So that's a decree, sort of. Sort of. Justin, did you have the option to not stand up? You did. 
Do you think that there would have been repercussions had you not stood up? No. <laughs> there would not have been physical repercussions, but I would have verbally abused the boy until he stood up, right? Now, if we look at Genesis chapter 1, and God said, what did he say? Let there, be light. Let there be light. Did light have an option? No. No. Light did not have an option. There was no pushback from light going, you know what? I don't think I want to exist here. I think I'll just, I think we'll just be the void of all things. No, 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 no. There was no option. The decree of God will cause something to happen. And we like to think that we have this kind of power sometimes, right? And, and as, as parents, I, I sometimes am, am deluded into believing that I can make my child do something. It, do you remember, uh, those of you that have kids, before you had kids, before you had kids, you looked at other people's kids in a restaurant and you went, can't they just tell them to be quiet? <laughs> and all the folks laughing are the folks with kids, right? Because, <laughs> yeah, that just doesn't work that way, right? We don't have God-like decreeing power. So as we look into this bucket of God's decrees, we see that it's not like us. Right? So we learn things about this process this way. So God's decree. So we see Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we also see uh, the continuing existence of all things. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, Who being in the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. See, the universe exists based on the word of God. It continues to exist based off of what God says about it. He spoke it into existence and He's continuing to speak its existence. Which makes me wonder if God decided one day I'll stop speaking the universe into existence. Been an interesting exercise that probably would not go too well for us. Right? <clears throat> it's amazing. The power of God is absolutely amazing. So, second bucket, number two, God's words of personal address. And this is when God communicates with people on earth by speaking directly to them. And we see a lot of examples of this in the Bible, right? We see a lot of examples in this. And one of the things I think is really sad about modern Christianity is that we assume that God has stopped speaking because there was writing about it has stopped. I don't think God stopped speaking. God didn't stop speaking at all. The Bible is filled with people that heard the voice of God and then behaved as if it was normal and went and did amazing things. Right? And when we hear God speaking to us, and we'll talk about those ways that he does here in a minute, and behave as if that's abnormal, that shows what we believe about our relationship with God. Right? It shows that, well, that's, that's, that's different. That's outside of... No, no, no. God wants a relationship, and in a relationship there is conversation. So first example of this is Genesis 2. Uh, so flip over to Genesis 2. We'll, we'll read a couple passages here. I want you to see how this works. So this is God communicating directly with people on earth by speaking directly to them. So Genesis chapter 2, let's look at verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man. Who's the man? Adam, right? So little, little M is Adam. You see the big M, that's Jesus. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. 
So this is pretty obvious. God is speaking directly to Adam and giving him instruction. Is that right? Now, what did Adam do with that information? God handed Adam a baton, and what did Adam do with it? He dropped it. Yeah, because all he had to do was hand it to Eve and make sure she had it. Probably would have been good to do a little rehearsal. Make sure we're good to go. Feedback, three-way communication. I work at an energy company in a nuclear plant. They do what's called three-way communication. If a decision needs to be made in a nuclear control room environment where I'm about to flip a switch that will change something about this nuclear power plant, we all want to be on board that this is the right switch to flip. Right? This would be good. So, so the way this works, here we go. The way this works is, uh, Chris, uh, I want you to flip uh, control room uh, uh, number 26. Understand, flip control room, switch 26. Confirm. Three-way communication. Now, he actually works at a nuclear plant, so <laughs> he, he understands this, right? But we've got to make sure this is right, right? Because this is, this is a word from God, which is far more important than control room switch 26. So when Adam hands Eve this baton, yeah, <laughs> she, she ate the baton. That's fantastic. That was great. Something somewhere in the transmission here did not go well. Right Now, could Adam blame God for bad directions? No, I don't think you're going to blame God for bad directions. Right? I mean, he, this is, no, he can't do that. So flip forward a little bit. So God's first words to woman, Genesis 3, verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. That was always one of my favorite sounds as a kid in church. That one page flipping over. You don't hear that much anymore with all the digital Bibles, but throwback moment there. So verse 16, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat, you shall, uh, eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of your, faith you shall, your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So sometimes this direct communication is very much for our protection. The first one was, don't eat of that tree. And sometimes the direct communication is a result of our lack of obedience to the direct communication. Does this make sense? So this is all types of different communication that God can have here. And it didn't stop in the Old Testament. Matthew 3, 17 says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, right? So this direct communication from God to man. So next bucket, number three, God's words as speech through human lips. God's word as speech through human lips. So flip to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. So what's Deuteronomy about? What's Deuteronomy about? I know you study it every single day, right? So you can't wake up back, it's Deuteronomy! It's about the law, right? It's about there's stuff that God has said that we are supposed to do. There's stuff that God has said that we are not supposed to do. We should be familiar with that stuff. That would be helpful for all of us, right? 
Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 and 19. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth. And this is the theological backing for the children of Israel, their expected obedience to these prophets throughout all the Old Testament. It's because God has said, I will put my words in his mouth. Well, then we better be listening to his mouth, right? Because if God is not going to speak directly to me, but through another to me, I should put the same weight behind what he says and what God would say directly to me. Does this make sense? Right? So this is the, um, we'll do a little math. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals what? Hey, you guys are awesome. If only tautology was that easy, yes. I did not get an A in that class in college. So, um, yeah, so if, if God speaking to me is God's word, and if God's word is speaking through somebody else, then God's word is God speaking through somebody else. That's okay. This is all equivalent. This works for us. This is why we adhere. So the rest of that verse, I'll go back to the start in verse 18. I will raise up... For them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, that's your two blanks, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And this is important. Verse 19. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks, again, in my name, I will require it of him. Oh, okay. So we are on the hook for what God tells someone to tell us. So we're looking in this bucket, right? And this bucket says, I am not alone in God's communication to man. This bucket says, I am dependent upon others for God's information to me. This bucket says, God does not reveal everything that I need to know to me exclusively. This bucket says community is important. See, Systematic theology is not just let's store up these verses and let's store up these verses and let's store up these verses because when you put these verses in a bucket and then you look into the bucket, there's implications from that. And the implications are that the, my favorite line, who got the purpose, you get the purpose-driven life? My favorite line from that book is that I am not the body of Christ on my own. It took me four days to get past that sentence. I'd open it back up and be like, yep, I, I need to process that. That's just going to take a while. Because I had a view at that time in my life that I got this. I need somebody else. I need somebody else. Yeah, I do. I need all of you guys. And, y'all, and unfortunately, you need me. <laughs> this is a crazy messed up relationship, isn't it? <laughs> it's a little awkward. I appreciate that. That's honesty right there. So a couple other examples of this. Um, Jeremiah 1.9, Then the Lord put forth his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. That's beautiful, right? I have put my words in your mouth. Now, now think about this, guys. When we quote Scripture, what's in our mouths? God's words. 
we get to participate in this too. This is not just for a select few and nobody else. This is for all of us. So that next paragraph says, Anyone who claimed to be speaking for the Lord but who had not received a message from Him was severely punished. That's your next blank. Severely punished. Right? So there are certain things that today are illegal in our society if you imitate another. What is illegal in our society? What job if you imitate certain jobs? You're not allowed to pretend to be a police officer. If you pretend to be a police officer, who do you think you are making mad? Police officers. Yes. My daddy gave me a very stern warning when I started to drive. He said, son, police officers carry guns. To them, everything looks like a target. This is why you say, yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, regardless of how you feel about it, you will be respectful because you do not want them to consider you to be a target. And I heeded that advice until I visited Philadelphia for the first time. Have I told this story before? It's been a while since I've told this story. I was leaving Philadelphia. I just visited my best friend from college. And Philadelphia is a different type of city because where I grew up in the South, you put traffic lights above the road. That's where they go, right? just makes sense. So I drive up to an intersection. It's obviously an intersection. I'm looking around. And I'm like, I don't see any traffic lights. There's a cop sitting. So this is a four-way. There's a cop sitting right here on this side, on the right side to my right. And I just kind of slowly roll through the intersection. I'm like, this feels wrong, but I don't see a reason to stop, so I'll just keep going. So I rolled through the intersection, and, and, and I just kind of glanced over and, and nodded. And he just gave me like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So flips his lights on. I'm 30 feet on the other side of the intersection. Pulls me over. I'm like, okay, I guess I, I, guess I missed something right there. So I, I reach in my back pocket, get my my license and uh, have it ready. He said, uh, license and registration, please. Yes, sir, my license is right here. Here you go. He said, all right. He said, something wrong with you, boy? Uh, no, sir. Sir. See, got it right? And uh, what I didn't recognize is that there were actually two police officers in the vehicle, and one was coming up on the right-hand side. He said, I need to see your registration as well. Yes, sir, absolutely. Mistake number one was not explicitly telling the officer what I was about to do or where I was about to go to get it. So I'm sitting in the driver's seat. There's nobody in the passenger seat. And the visor was broken, so I couldn't keep it up there. And the driver's seat had a hole in the floorboard, uh, and water would splash up when it rained. So it wouldn't make sense to keep the information there because it would get wet. That's not good. I was poor at the time, very poor at the time. So the information was underneath the passenger seat. So I just leaned over and reached my hand under the passenger seat. So now I'm leaned over and reached under the passenger seat, and I hear... I thought, I know that sound. I don't think I'm supposed to hear that sound right now. And, and I very slowly looked up, and the officer said, what are you doing? What would you like me to do? <laughs> I'm getting my registration. How would you like me to move next? 
And, and, I, and I see him, and he kind of chuckles just, just imperceptibly. And he kind of looks at the other officer, because they can see each other over the car, and he just shakes his head like, what have we got here? We, you know, it's just, we got this dumb redneck boy up here in Philadelphia. He does not know what he has just walked off into. So he said, I want you to very slowly take your hand out and don't pull anything out with it. Yes, sir. Okay. Good? Okay. Just checking. Just getting checkpoints through the way here. Everything good? All right. Would you like me to do anything? <laughs> so I make sure everybody's comfortable with this, right? Scared me to death. Got out of the ticket, by the way, too. Because I told them, he, he said, uh, where are you headed? I said, Tennessee. He said, you stopping anywhere else on the way down there? Not if you don't want me to. <laughs> I, will go, I will go wherever you'd like me to go. <laughs> I will drive this bad boy till the gas runs out. <laughs> that is not a problem. And uh, there were consequences for me because I broke a law. I didn't see those stop signs on the right hand, or the, the uh, traffic lights on the right left side. And then I got myself into a predicament where everything looked like a target. That wasn't good. So God's given us all of this information, right, so that we know where the traffic lights are and that we know there are people in our lives that will remind us of where the traffic lights are, and this is good for us. And when people pretend to be those people and they're not, you get things like Deuteronomy 18.20 which says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall be fined $50. Is that what it says? That prophet shall die. Yes, God is very serious about people impersonating information in the bucket. This is not okay. This is not allowed. It is significantly out of bounds. So, Number four, God's Word in written form. So this is the Bible. Easy example of this is Exodus 34.1. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. This is version 2.0. This is why it's okay to have multiple versions of the Scripture. That was a bad joke. Okay, never mind. Sorry. Cut two tablets of stone like the first one, and I will write on those tablets the words which were on the first tablets which you broke. This is why it's good to write the same thing very good. Okay? Um, this is written information. Deuteronomy 31, 9 through 13. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, this is beautiful, at the end of the appointed time, and in the year of the release of the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel, this is everybody, all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. The Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The whole thing, the whole thing was to be read in the presence of the people every seven years. Guess what the people did while it was being read? They stood. <laughs> Today's extended Bible reading passage will be read by 
priest so-and-so, and he reads like 10 chapters, and they're standing. And then they hand the scroll, and so-and-so reads, and they hand the scroll, and so-and-so, and they read the whole Torah every seven years. You know why? That they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. Because it changes the way that we live. That's why it's important. Because there's things that we have to know that are important for us to be aware of. And this didn't stop with Moses. Joshua 24, 26 says, Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and he set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So Joshua wrote. So Moses wrote and Joshua wrote. In Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 8, God tells uh, Isaiah, Now go, write it before them on a tablet, and note it on a scroll, that it may, may be for this time to come forever and ever. And you say, well, the scroll's going to deteriorate over time, right? Well, isn't that going to be a problem? Well, how are you going to keep that from happening? You're going to make another copy of it. And you're going to make another copy of it. And you're going to make another copy of it. And you're going to make another copy of it. And you're going to give Darla a copy. And you're going to make another copy of it. And you're going to give Scott a copy. And you're going to make another copy of it. And you're going to give Albert a copy. And you're going to make another copy of it. This is how this thing survives. That's actually what the lesson about is about next week. Maybe Albert needs two copies because he may misplace one. But you, you, need, you need a lot of copies of this thing out there. Sorry, man. I saw Lynn giving you an evil eye. I wasn't sure if you made a joke or something. Or, no, it was just, I love you, man. Sorry. Okay. Tune in next week. You may, go, you may go better for you next week. So we'll see. Um, <clears throat> so this idea that the, the Bible is written down, this information is written down, it is written down. And you get to the New Testament in John 14, 26, and Jesus is talking and he says, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance that I said to you. Some of you may be wondering, you know, Jesus said a lot of stuff in the time that he was on earth teaching his disciples for three years. How did they remember all that stuff when they were writing it down? It's the Holy Spirit. They were fallible people. I mean, good gracious. There were no intellectual rock stars in that group. It, it, you go through the list, and that's just not happening, right? I mean, Luke was not one of those that followed him around. He's the sharp, him, him and Paul were the sharpest two rocks in the whole New Testament. And they weren't in that 12, <laughs> okay? Which means there's the hope for the rest of us, right? He used those 11 and, and the way they went. All right, so several benefits. This is uh, Grudem. Several benefits come from writing down God's words. First one there is more accurate preservation. Think if it was up to us, and, and I just had to tell you, and then you got to tell somebody, and then they got to get it right, and they got to get it right, and they got to get it right. No pressure here, right? Lots of pressure here, right? Yeah, yeah. So Moses comes along how many years after creation? Does anybody know? Approximately. It's got a comma in it. got a comma in it, in the number of years, okay? has a comma in it, and he writes down what happened a comma number of years ago. You're going to rely on word of mouth for a comma? 
uh-uh, that's not gonna work. We need to have something that is accurate for preservation. And next week we're gonna talk about the accuracy of that preservation of that word. So the second section there is opportunity for repeated inspection. One of the beautiful things that I love to hear are the stories of stuff that is just miraculous. The things that have happened in our lives that we get together and we go, praise the Lord. There's not a lot of explanation for that. It could be miraculous healing. It could be a miraculous situation that occurred in somebody's family. But what I can't see in those situations is I don't get to see that action over and over and over and over again and get an opportunity to inspect that. We take somebody's word for it. So the scripture that gives us an opportunity for repeated inspection. And then the last one is it's accessible to many more people. Accessible to many more people. So if, if I tell Josh the story, but I don't tell Abby the story, well, I'm dependent upon Josh to tell Abby, right? What's up? And, and hopefully this happens, right? <laughs> you know? But if we print this thing and print it and print it and print it and print it, well, there's more opportunity for this to be spread. So the focus of our study, the focus of our study is God's Word in written form. So we're going to look at seven big buckets over the next three and a half years. Seven big buckets. And the focus, the thing that we're going to inspect to learn about all of these things is God's Word. So your memory verse, I'm going to skip through the questions for personal application. That's part of your homework, just to read through those. Your scripture memory passage is Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And you go, well, this week's was easier. Yep. Some of them will be easier. Some of them will be harder. Prizes will be awarded correspondingly. Oh, okay. Dangle a little bait out there in front of you, right? I don't care what it takes. I want us to memorize the scripture. So, as we did last week, we'll end this week with a hymn. I'm going to read this. This is Break Thou the Bread of Life. Some of you may have sung this in church growing up. Um, Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me, as thou didst break the loaves beside the sea. Throughout the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. My spirit pants for thee, O living word. Bless thou the truth, dear Lord, to me, to me, as thou didst bless the bread by Galilee. Then shall all bondage cease, all fetters fall, and I shall find my peace, my all in all. Thou art the bread of life, O Lord, to me, thy holy word, the truth that saveth me. Give to me to eat and live with thee above. Teach me to love thy truth, for thou art love. O send thy spirit, Lord, now unto me, that he may teach my eyes and make me see. Show me the truth concealed within thy word and in thy book revealed so that I see the Lord. So, let's take a couple minutes, share prayer requests at your tables, pray as a group over those prayer requests, make sure you write down everybody's name that's here today. This is how we take attendance at the bottom of that Sunday School Weekly Update sheet. And in the center of the table is our breakfast bucket. Some of you may be aware that yesterday the Upward um, Award celebrations were held. We have, uh, we'll say, several Julie Darling Donuts left over from that. So if you would like to take some home, I think 
the volume in the kitchen could be easily dispersed so that each family could get 12 baskets and there'd be fragments left over, okay? There's a lot of donuts left, so if you like donuts, then please help yourself with that. So thanks for coming today. I appreciate your attention, and uh, let's pray, and you'll be dismissed. Thanks.